0: Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by Mosaic, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free two-week trial on their website at www.streamrg.com. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com using the promo code MICROCAP. Welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 203. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at ArtCraft at And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. A special thank you to our sponsors for today's episode. Stream by Mosaic, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated Calls, summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free two-week trial on their website at www.streamrg.com. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com using the promo code microcap. And to Quarter, whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R Quarter. We are now one week away from the SNN Network Canada virtual event that's happening December 7th through 9th, 2021. Please go to Canada dot SNN.network to see the full list of issuers speakers sponsors panels that will be joining us paul andriola on behalf of small cap discoveries and myself on behalf of snn network are teaming up to highlight our neighbors to the north canada paul and his team have been finding value accretive opportunities on the tsx tsx venture CSE, and now the neo so we wanted to host an event that encapsulates all of that. So you can expect three days of keynotes, educational panels, company presentations, and one-on-one meetings. To register, please go to canada.snn.network and click the register button. We look forward to seeing you all there. Speaking of the SNN Network Canada virtual event, for episode 203 of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Harold Leishman, the Senior Investment Advisor at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. He will be moderating a panel at the event showcasing three companies that he discovered using the Leishman methodology, a working title, uh, which is the topic for today's conversation. I wanted to dig a little deeper into the algorithm Harold and his team put together, back-tested, and they continuously use to uncover, monitor, and lead to more qualitative follow-up with management teams. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I highly recommend you sign up for the conference again at Canada.SNN.network to hear this panel as well. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 203 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Harold Leishman. This episode is brought to you by Stream by Mosaic. You can find them at www.streamrg.com. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. www.streamrg.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And I'm really excited to introduce our next guest here on the podcast. He's actually going to be moderating a panel at our upcoming SNN Network Canada virtual event happening next week December 7th through 9th, 2021. Uh, the panel is titled, well, we have a tentative title. Uh, offline, Harold was just giving me a hard time about what it should be called. Uh, he was embarrassed that we had it up there originally as the Leishman Method. It to be called the Leishman Process. I don't know the difference. Uh, you you all can. You all are out there smarter than probably tell me, but <laughs> having said that, let me introduce my guest here first, all right? So uh, joining me right now is Harold Leishman. He is the Senior Investment Advisor at Canon Core Genuity Wealth Management, Harold. Great to have you on, man. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks, Robert, and thanks, uh, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, and you know, it was just the Leishman method. It's more just like it's not have a title. It's just our process. Is what we do to try to find interesting ideas. But it's your show. You can call it whatever you want.
0: I'm trying to help you with some branding, okay? <laughs> like we, the, the Leishman method process. <laughs> You know, just some numbers I threw together to pop out some interesting things. I don't know. You know, I, I want I'm trying to help you here. You know, I,
1: we can we can use help on the marketing side. Anyway, thank you, thank <laughs> you so much for having me. And I uh, I look forward to your event uh, next week. That'll be that'll uh, be a lot of fun. That'll be a lot of
0: fun, for sure. By the way, for anybody who wants to go and register, I should have probably said this in the open, too. Go to canada.snn.network so you can see Harold's uh, panel. It's really great. It, it, I'm very excited for you all to see that. But let's dig in a little bit. I, I mean, the, today's interview, you know, obviously I want to get to know you quite, quite a bit better, you know, as well as also really dive even deeper into the Leishman method slash process. Uh, actually, maybe that will be just the name of it, just method slash process, just to really mess with people. But Harold... You know, as we always do on this podcast, you know, I always like to start off with, you know, where where did your passion for investing come from? I we spoke offline before, so I, I love your family history here. So, dig in.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm actually I'm a, a third generation uh, Canadian venture capitalist. Um, uh, my grandfather uh, got started in the venture capital business. He was a he was a surgeon in Saskatchewan in the fifties. And, uh, you know, he and some friends wanted to have a bit of a side gig. Uh, There'd been a a ton of oil uh, discovered in Alberta and they were starting to make some discoveries in Saskatchewan. So they decided that it'd be fun or interesting to uh, 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 list and and build a little oil and gas exploration company in Saskatchewan. So they listed uh, what would be the equivalent today of a CPC, like a Canadian or a capital pool company um, there might have been four or five million shares outstanding. Uh, then they went and found themselves a geologist. Uh, and the geologist said, Okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bid on some of these land auctions that the government's putting out. And so he said, here's my number one pick. If we get this, it's going to be golden. Uh, number two pick, you know, not quite as good, but we're very excited about it. And if we don't get either of those two, we've got a third pick that will at least get us in the game. And um, uh, and we can kind of build build the company from there. So the land auction comes up. They don't get the first pick. Uh, they don't get their second pick. Um, but they are successful. They get their third pick. Uh, however, they've used all their money to make the land acquisition, so no money for drilling. Um, and then they go and uh, need to find a joint venture partner, which they they do go find a, a partner and uh, they go in, uh, drill a couple of wells. They hit. An absolute gusher, you know, blow the lid off of the the oil rig kind of discovery, you know, a Beverly Hillbillies kind of uh, oil discovery. It actually turned out to be one of the largest discoveries uh, at the time in Saskatchewan history. It was the Steelman Field. And uh, their end of the production was about 1,600 barrels a day uh, at a little over $2 a barrel. So that's a little over $1.5 million. Year of revenue, which you know today doesn't sound so big, but in 1955 or six, it was actually uh, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of cash flow. Um, they weren't a professional management team, uh, so there was a discussion that they should sell the asset. Um, they had a they had a cash bid uh, for the company. My grandfather was more interested in building a business than selling the business. And he went and found a a secondary bid from a a small uh, upstart mining company that was interested in using the cash flow from the oil and gas revenue to build out their gold mining assets. Um, uh, So, the the company that was coming in was a company called Tech Hughes. It was run by a guy called Norman Keevil. My grandfather's company was called Canadian Devonian Petroleum. Uh, They ended up buying Canadian Devonian. Uh, and they they sort of smashed it all together, and they renamed it uh, Tech. Now Tech today is Canada's largest diversified mining company. Uh, my grandfather sat on the board until the day he uh, he passed away. And uh, and they were tremendously successful. And I, you know, I like the story a because it's a family story, but b, you know, if you if you think about it, you know, their first two choices they didn't get. Their third choice. Uh, was when they got the people who got the first two bids drilled the properties and there was nothing. So you know, there's a fair bit of luck involved, and and obviously you know having uh, having cash flow to build a, a much larger company uh, is kind of an interesting concept as well. So that's how my family got in the business, and and that's why I'm here.
0: Very right. good. I mean, so from that inspiration, I mean, so you always knew you were going to be in some way shape or form in finance investing you know I'm I,
1: sorry, I, right i i didn't actually i had i had no idea i mean i um i got a degree from a university on the east coast i i, I very shrewdly got a degree in english and philosophy um and found myself basically unemployable uh, it was through a family connection that i i got a job in a um, Uh, a fish retailing operation as an assistant manager and uh, you know there was enough money to pay for the rent but there wasn't enough money to buy beer Uh, and so that wasn't a very happy experience and then you know on the weekends I'd get in my car to go somewhere and everything would just smell like fish so you know it wasn't it wasn't a great a great situation my father had been uh, on the institutional side in Toronto Uh, before I moved out to Vancouver so I reached out to him and said hey you know give me some names and numbers of people uh, that I can go like I'll do anything I just need a job that has some upside and doesn't make me smell like fish I'll get coffee I'll stuff envelopes and uh, and he had been looking for an assistant so he said why don't you come work with me and and having no other real prospects I uh, you know reluctantly agreed to come work with my father, which actually turned out to be a great experience. We worked together for about uh, 18 years. So that's how I got, that's how I made my way into the business. Very good.
0: I mean, were they, was there some sadness that you didn't get into the the mining and, and metals industry at all or?
1: We did, we did, um, we did a lot of, I mean, listen, for, for, you know, the bulk of those 18 years, you know, we financed a lot of uh, a lot of mining companies, a lot of oil and gas companies. So we did, we did do that, um, you know, some greenfield development, some brownfield development, um, some rank startup businesses. Um, It was, we always had higher highs and higher lows, but the swings were uh, large. They were big.
0: (laughs) Very good. All right. So then catch us up to today. You know, you, you went to work with your father for 18 years. Now you're senior investment advisor at Canaccord, uh, Genuity wealth management, you know, catch us up from, you know, to how where you're at today.
1: Yeah. Well, it was, it was a very small business when I joined with my dad and, and, you know, I was young and hungry. So I would always go to shows and meet people like you and, you know, all that sort of thing. And, um, uh, so we, we grew the business nicely. And at one point we made an investment in a small company. It had had some revenue before and um, things hadn't gone well. And it was, it was basically, uh, you know, at death's door. And we, uh, and we bought a significant chunk of stock in that, in that business. And, uh, and they ramped revenue, you know, from basically zero to about 18 million um, in about, you know, it was 18 to 24 months and they were putting cash to the bottom line. Um, and at that point, you know, sort of the light went on like, you know, what else can I find that's like this? I should say incidentally, that management team turned out to be terrible and then promptly drove it into the, into the ground. But I was intrigued by, uh, you know, finding companies that had revenue and cash flow uh, as a more stable way to speculate. Um, and then I had the good fortune, I went to an LD Micro conference in California. Uh, I was introduced to Paul Andriola. Um, this is before he started writing his newsletter. And he very generously sort of shared with me, you know, his investing criteria. And, uh, you know, from there, I just kind of started digging in. I mean, um, uh, you start chipping away at little bits of information. So I was manually plotting uh, company financials as they came out, and seeing how it kind of affected the share price. Um, then I went back and I looked at stocks that had, had you know huge returns based on growing revenues and earnings, and kind of dialed in on the uh, that you know four to six quarters before the company really took off to see if there was you know some sort of common thread I could find to try to find these things sooner. Um, and and get a position for myself and my clients. And I kind of got it down to a number of, of common denominators uh, of things that made sense. Um, from there, we went and ran a whole bunch of back tests to see like if you invested in companies with this type of criteria over 10 or 15 years, you know, what kind of returns would you, would you get to try to narrow down what the, you know, the best criteria were for, for me. I'd like to take a quick second
0: to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Got it. So, so this, so now we're actually getting, we're starting to, to, to dig in a little bit to the, the Leishman method slash process slash algorithm. So, right. um, so, all right, as I said at the top here, you know, we're, we're having this panel at our event talking, where you're going to be kind of going through that on a, you know, a little bit shorter scale, cause that's only going to be 45 minutes. And then you're going to have a few companies that have popped up on, right. on, on there, you know, so, so let's dig in, you know, you started to get into a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more about the, the Leishman method slash process slash algorithm and, and how, <laughs> how, how it need a works. Shorter, I definitely
1: need a shorter name than that, but um um, it It was well basically what we found was you know if you looked at you 're looking at small companies and we excluded resources you know i 'd had my fill of resources over the years, and I understood the cyclicality so we we took those out they 've got no pricing control over their product um, so we 're looking for small companies uh, under one hundred and fifty million market cap, uh, you know under one hundred and fifty million shares outstanding, so you can try to get you know good torque per share if there's good uh, you know good revenue or earnings growth. Um, you know, we wanted high margin businesses, you know, greater than 20%. Um, we put in, you know, we wanted to have for the back test EBIT, at least EBITDA positive, so making a little bit of money. I will say I'm not I'm not hell-bent on that. I'm more interested in EBITDA momentum. So you can be losing some money, but as long as the trend is towards making money, then that's interesting. And if you plug that into like a Canadian screen, all of those criteria you're gonna come up with only 80 to hundred names. So from there, the algorithm, what we did is that, okay, we wanna buy the 40 names that are cheapest on an enterprise value to sales basis or a price to sales basis. And then out of that subset, you would buy the 20 companies with the fastest revenue growth. So you're sort of looking at companies that are generally inexpensive um, on that price to sales metric and then picking up the companies that are growing the fastest. And you know it. The back test, and I will say, back tests are—they're are, only an indication. You can't actually recreate them in real life. It just lets you know if you're fishing in the right pond. But in this case, the back test—it crushed. It crushed the major indices. And what I was most excited about was that it did it with sort of very little correlation to the overall market. And it—it it kind of makes sense if you think about it, right? It's not rocket science. If you have got a small company. That is relatively inexpensive and growing fast and making lots of money. It will go up independent of whatever the general market is doing. So, so that was um, that was sort of the, the the math that we settled on. Uh, for me, uh, the hard part uh, came to you know how do you how do you manage this much data? You know, I was no longer inputting stuff by hand. Right? It's it's hard. So if you're following you know, 80 companies, what is that? That's uh, 320 financial releases a year, you know, plus acquisitions, dispositions, private placements, management changes, you know, daily share price fluctuation. How do you, how do you manage all of that data and, and kind of keep focused on that core group that you want to focus on? Um, and I will say, I am actually really proud of the data set that we've produced Um, I don't think there's anybody else in the Canadian retail environment that uh, is able to share this kind of data set with their clients. There's institutions and family offices that have resources that might have that. But I haven't seen any other broker uh, maintain a data set like this. We basically will keep, you know, uh, a running three year history of uh, companies, quarterly revenues and trillion 12 month revenues, the growth rates of each Uh, And then every sort of measure of profitability that you can think of from, you know, gross margin to EBITDA, to EBITDA margin, pre-tax income, as well as a a snapshot of their capital structure over that period. So you can kind of get a feel for, um, you know, how are they financing their growth? Is it just pure, raw, organic growth? Or is it, um, you know, are they diluting the, the heck out of themselves or taking on a bunch of debt to grow? Um, and then everything's tied into a live quote system. So from there, you know we can we can rank that universe, that eighty to hundred company universe, and and you can you know measure by whatever criteria you want. You know, is it you know which companies have had you know the best quarterly growth recently, or trailing twelve month growth, or you can say, you know, I'll give a point for. Get a point if they're even a positive. A point if their quarterly growth is in the top quartile. A point if their trailing 12 month is in the top quartile, and then a point if their valuation is in the cheapest quartile. Right, and that's kind of what you're looking for. Um, and uh, like I said, it's all sort of tied to you know real time quotes. Uh, we've hired a full time uh, associate who's two thirds the way through his CFA to manage the database and help us you know, crush all the uh, all the data that comes out in the financials. And that's the um, that's our methodology by whatever name you want to you want to call it.
0: Very good. All right. Well, let's dive. Let's dig a little bit deeper into it. So first thing that maybe some folks might be asking themselves, including myself, even though I mean, look, it's fairly obvious because you are uh, Canadian. But right. why just why just Canada?
1: Um. I other, other than being Canadian, and that's not the, the main reason, I think, there's, I think there's a couple of features, and I've heard it before, I think, on some of your podcasts. I mean, number one, uh, for small companies, the quality of the financial disclosure in Canada is fantastic. It's all audited. Um, so you're getting really good quality financial information, which for me is, is sort of paramount. Um, and it's a reasonably uh, effective venture capital system, I mean, it's as effective and efficient as any bureaucratic situation can be, which is not, you know, it's not great, but it's probably better than most. Um, And then on top of that, uh, it's very, it's very small and tends to be illiquid. So if you imagine you've got these, these sort of existing businesses that... Uh, are making money or not making money, whatever the case may be. And then behind that, there's these massive waves of liquidity that come in and go out, whether it's a mining market or an oil and gas market or a cannabis market. And these huge rushes of liquidity come in will drive valuations of everything higher. Um, And uh, and then when that bubble pops, the liquidity comes out and, and everything goes down in value but the underlying businesses are still doing their thing, right? They're still growing at whatever the rate is. They're still making money because they're not tied to the fluctuations in the market. And, and that illiquidity or that uh, inefficiency provides fantastic opportunities for investors that are following the numbers uh, to buy some positions in some great companies with, you know, great prospects that are making money.
0: Got it. All right. So then, Let's talk about the ranking system then a little bit, because I think that'll be very indicative of some of my questions after that in terms of like sizing into positions, doing some of the qualitative stuff. So can you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, you showed me, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, the right. full spreadsheet and like how how you have a rank, but for those obviously who didn't have access to that, like I did, you know, can you, can you explain how that works?
1: Well, so for me, the ranking, the most important thing well, not the most important thing. The thing that drives share price movement, for me, from my perspective of it, is is revenue growth. How is the company growing faster? And so, if you can try to find things that are growing the fastest, um, you know, you sh- you could do quite well in the market, especially if you can try to buy them, um, you know, at a fair at a fair price. I'm not so much of a deep value guy, um, you know. There are some positions I hold that are deep value, but they take great patience. you know, uh, you know, returns is, you know, time and, you know, percentage improvement. Um, So I like to be a little more timely looking for things that are, um, you know, going up now. So uh, as I said, you know, we will will rank the data in a number of different ways. Um, uh, Specifically, we'll look for companies that have outperformed on a quarterly basis, So they may have only had one quarter. They're up 40% over the same quarter last year. You should dig into that to understand what's driving that and is that repeatable? You know, that's sort of the first clue that something interesting might be happening. Um, So that's one way. Obviously, trailing 12-month revenue growth is another. Um, EBITDA growth is another. And as I said, we have a series of other... Um, I guess algorithms, you know, giving a, a point system, right? So if you're if you're one of the cheapest companies on that price to sales basis, but you're one of the best in terms of quarterly revenue growth and trillion twelve month revenue growth, and you're a high margin business, you know that that EBITDA expansion is going to be significant, and, and the company will get re-rated, um, hopefully, uh, to a much to a much higher level. You know, when I was doing some of the backtracking work. Um, You know, I was I looked at one company as an example, where you know they were growing at about fifty percent on a trailing twelve month basis. Uh, It was a high gross margin business. I think it was around forty eight or forty seven percent, and they had gone from you know losing eight hundred thousand dollars a year to making eight hundred thousand dollars a year in over four quarters. It was trading for one time sales, uh, give or take, and about six times earnings. Uh, they then put on another four quarters of 50 to 70% revenue growth. Uh, we were able to do a financing at that initial price. Twelve months later, the institutions came in and they financed it for, I think it was seven and a half times sales and 65 times earnings. And the reason for them is there's only so many growth opportunities where they can put money. And at that point, I would argue that's probably a little expensive for what I'm, you know, for what I'm trying to find. Um, so did I answer your question, or am I just yeah. rambling No, the- no, you did. No, 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 you did. Well, okay. you know,
0: the thing that you're making it very clear, and I think this ties back to your, you know, your at the beginning when you said, you know, you're a third generation venture capitalist. You know, the for me, the main reason that you're saying that is because a lot of a lot of the names that you're looking at, you know, if they weren't public, they were they'd probably be that venture capital stage. Potentially, you know, some right. of them, not, not all of them, but you know, the thing that's really um, great about the TSX markets or just the Canadian public markets that I've come to really appreciate is that it's a really great ecosystem for companies to go public a little earlier in their life cycles. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think that's where you kind of step in is for folks that have that venture capital background. It's like, well, great. Like, I, I can use what I've learned when I when I go and study these private, you know, growthy type names and I can now apply that to public markets. And it's even easier because, hey, I got access to all this, you know, great information that sometimes you don't get access to uh, most, most of the time you do. But like you but because they're public, you have to, they have they have to be, you know, there right. can't be any kind of fraudulent weirdness. You right? Because be Yeah. They have to disclose. Right. So, um, you know, on on that note, I mean, what's really, again, what's really amazing about, you know, being able to apply this method and having this methodology for, uh, you know, kind of VC level-ish, you know, this, this level of of public companies, you know, in the small micro nano cap space, you get to also do some of the qualitative side. So when you see some of the companies show up uh, on your list, I think you said 80 to hundred names, you know, maintaining the database, making sure it's all up to date. You know, part of that includes having to go and talk with management teams and get some more information. So, what are the types of questions and what what are those meetings like with management teams? You know, after you have a company that shows up on your list.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty straightforward. We we do try to reach out to um, you know most of the management teams after every quarterly you know report. Um, You know, oftentimes there's not necessarily a lot to discuss, Um, you know, the numbers can be fairly straightforward, but, you know, the more you talk to management teams, um, you know, the more you kind of get to know their style, Um, you know, are they, do they, are they overly promotional, do they overpromise and under-liver, are they they always sandbagging, you know, what the results are going to be, and that way when you're reading the news releases, you kind of get a, a better feel for what to expect. Um, it gives you a chance to better understand, you know, maybe what their vision is, um, you know, how do they plan to exit, um, you know, how do they take it from being a small business to a big business, is it going to be, you know, be an acquisition, uh, or are they going to funnel a ton of money into, uh, into marketing? Um, you know, the, the small cap space, fundamentally, well, fundamentally is a bet on the jockey. So the better you can get to know the jockey, you know, the better your, your overall situation, I think, should be. Uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, you hope the good jockey produces the good numbers. Um, uh, so getting to know them is, is sort of key, you know, on the qualitative side, it allows us to dig a bit more maybe into, you know, the quality of the revenues, you know, obviously recurring revenue has got greater value than, you know, non-recurring revenue, but there's, there's variability within that, right? It's not all black and white, um so there's you know there's all kinds of stuff to to learn and take away
0: well what's inter- the reason I ask is because I feel like you know between you Paul yeah Dave Barr I mean some of the best out there Jacqueline Rishi uh you know I, the, be- between you folks you know you guys are, are more or less playing well maybe not so much Jack, I think she's a little bit on on the larger side but like you guys are more or less playing in a similar sandbox when you're at looking at the company subset, right? You know, it's a right. small community of non-resource, non-cannabis, yeah. more or less microcaps that are revenue generating at a minimum, maybe four quarters away from profitability, you know, break-even. You know, or grow, whatever it is. You know, so the, the main reason I wanted to to know and is, is about how you talk with management is because I feel like that's also a key differentiator between maybe some of the questions you asked versus what Paul asked versus what Dave asked, you know, versus what maybe Matthew Martin over at, uh, at Revlon asked, you know, sure. So you, for you, you know, when you look at that list, And you're then creating your ranking system also based on some of that the conversations you have. What are some of the things where like if you hear management say say this, despite what you might be seeing in the numbers, are you like, "Hmm, that might be cause for maybe backtrack and or on the other side of things? Maybe this is something that I should be looking into a little further.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a challenging question. I'm now right sort of rolling through all the different conversations I've had. I mean Sorry, that's
0: you know, why I, I made sure to ask it long. So yeah, you yeah. Can, <laughs> give, give, me time,
1: give me time to, to think. And uh, <laughs> and I would argue it's very generous of you to lump me in with Paul Andreol and Dave Barr and uh Matt Stu Martin over at Revont. Um and we do, you know, we we do end up crossing paths with those guys a lot. You know, we end up um it's like, hey, you know, I'm in this deal and hey, so are you. Or, or you know, I remember one time I was, uh, I was buying a, a, a large block of stock in a company that was trading for, um, you know, a, a very low multiple of earnings. Um, and um, uh, I had it kind of mostly placed. And then I called Paul and said, hey, by the way, you know, I got 100,000 shares left for this block we're going to buy if you want it. And there was silence on the other end of the line. And he's like, well, I can't, I I can't buy it because we're actually writing it up the next day. I was like, Oh, that's fantastic. You know, good for me. So anyway, um, but what kind of questions do we ask? Um, You know, it's, it's, it's really, I find if you see a problem in the financials, we had a situation recently where, you know, the company had got itself over levered and, um, you know, when you ask a question and they don't give you a decent response, you know, you need to ask that question six more times, but maybe from a different angle. I don't necessarily know how Paul asks his questions or Dave Barr. I think Dave Barr likes it things more of a private equity side. You know, we're just trying to get down to the truth of what's driving the growth. Can that growth continue for the foreseeable future? You know, the next two, three quarters. Um, you know, do they have capital needs? Uh, Because obviously as a broker, you know, we like that if we can buy a big chunk in a financing, or if you've got some debt, if we can convert your debt to equity, that's kind of a line of questioning we like. Um, You know, um, it's, that's a, that's a tough question. It really kind of depends. It depends on the company. Uh, You know, we're looking for how does this thing, how does this thing stop growing? How do they get? Sideswiped by something that you can't see on their website or that's in the financials, um, but I would say you know most of our most of our focus is on the uh, is on the growth side. Can they maintain the growth or profitability?
0: I mean, one of, another reason why I wanted to ask this because, you know, we're putting this out before the event. There's going to be a number of investors listening to this that might be doing one-on-ones with some of these companies that might actually be on your list, right. you know? So, I mean, if going into some of these one-on-ones, because I mean, look, you probably get access to more management meetings than most, right? You know, you're-
1: We try to have a lot.
0: Yeah. You try to have a lot, right? I mean- what what would you say is that that one burning question that you do? It, it's just a requirement that you have to ask every single time, you know, to each management team, so that that will at least steer the conversation or maybe give you some kind of indication of, oh, okay, I know where this is going, or oh, okay, I know where this is going.
1: Yeah, I you know, um, that is a challenge, I, you know. I, I wouldn't say it's a burning question. The one dumb question we ask at the end of every interview is, is, you know, what should have we asked? Do you tell, like, we've asked you a bunch of questions, you know, what didn't we ask about that we should have asked about? Um, you know, and sometimes you get a response and some like, no, no, you kind of covered it off. I mean, for the most part, these small companies, their financials aren't that complicated. So if there's... Um, you know, I was reading some financials today, and you know, revenue's gone flat, and their, uh, you know, their uh, SG&A is up 25. percent So, you know, there's going to be some question. There's going to be some questions around that. You know, I I already talked to management, so I already know. Like, look, we're building. You know, we're positioning for growth. So. to to take it to the next level, we need more staff or more bodies, or frankly, there's a labor shortage going on right now. And like, we need to pay people more to come to work because I don't know if this is like in the US right now, but in Canada, they just give money to people to not work. So you need to up your game. So, you know, for us, all our questions are primarily around um, financials. So it really depends on on the company. And, um, you know, what are your management dreams? Like, you know, say, Robert, you're 55. You've been at this for 10 years. You've got the business really going, you know, what are you going to work till you're 95? What's your, what's your exit plan here? How do you, how do you exit stage left? Are you going to sell the business Um, or are you just going to work until you, you know, keel over at your desk or what's your, what's your game plan there? Um, And that, always you know that's always an, an interesting question i guess um I like that question you know because it's a good question well people 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 like small businesses because it's fun but you also have to have you have to have an exit and maybe and maybe you know do it again right um, um you know Lack of insider ownership stock's down, how come you're not buying stock? I mean there's all kinds of questions you can ask right. um, and I wish I was better prepared for this question uh, I think it's I think you know no, you they, have, these are these are some really good examples <laughs> you just have to you just have to yeah. sit and listen and, and get a feel for um, you know get a feel for the management team you know yeah. are they honest are they credible do they have a greater vision um, you know uh, so so here so so let, let's get so my next question then is you know
0: after you've done all your due diligence you see companies they showed up on showed up on the list you've done your qualitative all right now we're talking about sizing let's say all right they ticked all the boxes I'm ready to to open a position you know what does that what does that position sizing look like do you start small let execute execute size in like how does it work.
1: Yeah, I, I well, I guess there's there's a couple of answers to that to that question. Personally, uh, I'm a big believer in a diversified portfolio. I like to have lots of irons in the fire, um, and and you know believe in the subset doing well over time. You know, a small fast growing company. So, um, you know, the number of times you look at something, and think this is it, like I'm going to go overweight this, you know, it, it rarely works out. So you're better to be diversified. Um, and uh, because it's not just me, I'm, I'm dealing for clients, you know, we'll go and see if we can get a block to kind of, you know, everyone gets a little position, kind of see how the stock goes, um, um, you know, and there's variability within that as well. You know, if the company's financing, you'll take a bigger position if you have more comfort because the, warrant, you know, the warrants are always nice. Uh, one of the things that we, that we try to do within our model uh, is also kind of see, you know, how is the stock acting in the context of the venture market? You know, I, I talked before that, you know, when, when there's a big market running, you get these huge waves of liquidity that kind of drives everything up. Uh, I think, and I, I don't know the math, so I'm kind of pulling this number out of the air. I think the venture exchange goes down about 70% of the time. And so, you know, if you can, if you can find a stock that is acting independently, you know, you might want to get more aggressive. If the stock is starting to break out and it's cheap and it's making money and it's going fast, you may have to be more aggressive and say, let's get our full position now. Uh, either we'll hunt around, uh, you know, look for blocks, you call the management team, any blocks for sale, you know, are there options that are coming due? Are there warrants coming due Or you can kind of get some size um, uh, in a block trade? If the company has, um, you know, uh, research coverage already by one of the other firms, you, know, you can call their desk and say, "Hey, like, you know, we want half a million, a million shares to get started," and maybe they know someone, right? So you kind of have to fish around to get that get that sizing. If it's just if it's just kind of going sideways and the business is growing, well, then you maybe just sort of take a small block, or maybe just start chipping away for a few clients and and build a position over time. You know the. Uh, The illiquidity makes it a challenge as a broker at that time. Uh, We have a couple of family offices we deal for and they just look at it and say, they view this as semi-private equity. You know, getting in, getting out is really difficult, but you've got a long-term, you know, look at it. You're a little bit less price sensitive, um, you know, because you're looking five years down the road. So, you know, again, I wish there was a hard black and white answer but I also think if you're too rigid on anything, you end up missing opportunities or making mistakes. You better be somewhat uh, uh, flexible in your approach.
0: Hey, man, if there was a hard black and white answer, I don't know if I'd have a podcast, okay? So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad there's a bit of a nuance and it's not just, uh, yeah, we do it like that. That would not be, there's no, would no be one would that,
1: no, no yeah. be as entertaining. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's um, But, you know, you sort of work your way into position and, um, you know, like I said, I like 20 odd companies, 25 companies, whatever, uh, as a position. So, you know, maybe start with a one and a half or 2% weighting, kind of get a feel for it. Maybe see how the market reacts to future news releases. Um, you know, like today, you know, today, half day in the U.S., market's down, you know, almost a thousand points. There's usually opportunities to, you know, buy up something at a at a better price that you can't, you know, you just can't see time.
0: So, dude, dude, you should do this. You should put this algorithm in for uh, for U.S. equities. I'd be I'd be fascinated to well, see what comes up.
1: Do you know what I um uh, we can we can have another we can have a, another sort of off air discussion. Um, you know, I have a I have a partner, and he does you know the conservative wealth management uh, side of the, side of the business. Uh, Cannibal Genuity acquired a firm in the UK years ago, and they have a world-class uh, quant uh, uh, system that covers every security in the world. It doesn't do it doesn't do the small companies so well, but you can see some of these small companies, like these small microcaps, show up every once in a while. And that's always interesting because you can kind of see that it's picking up on... Um, Uh, I'm showing up on some institutional radar screens, um, but I'll I'll walk you through it. It's it's spectacular. It's kind of a combination of an ultimate, what works on Wall Street, you know, five value criteria, five quality earnings criteria, five momentum criteria. Um, You can add whatever other factors you want, but it's a combination of that and uh, a fairly advanced discounted cash flow modeling system that sort of interprets where things could go. It is... um, it's fun to play with. That's really cool.
0: But, you know, and, and listen, the, what's really interesting about, you know, the, the Leishman methodology, that sounds, that actually I think might be be it, um, is, you know, it, it, it's interesting, you know, whether it works or not, I'm not going to, I'm not here to make a call yeah. on that. But the reason that it exists is because within Canada, there's a lot of noise, right? I mean, sure. um, you know, folks might be listening to think like really there's a lot of noise, again, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, look, it's pri- primarily dominated by junior mining industry, cannabis, uh, you know, now psychedelics has taken hold a little bit. Right. And, that's, and that's no comment on any of those sectors whatsoever. It's just, they're more heavily weighted in those sectors. You know, so when you have some of these, you know, industrials for the most, you know, cause now I'm getting into some of the sectors of the companies that are listed on, on, in your, yeah. in your, in your methodology. A lot of them are tech industrials, some consumer, you know, it's really interesting to see that it's right. a lot. It just so happens. It's a lot of these, you know, non heavily weighted companies that usually make up the venture, the TSX, CSE, especially right. CSE, you know, now the Neo, you know, so it's, it's, it, yeah. It's interesting that you almost need to have a methodology like this in order to sift through some of the noise in sectors that, you know, folks may not be interested in.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I would even argue, I mean, we had a, we had a discussion in the office today, you know, because we will go in and you know, we find a company that's growing and we'll go and sort of disaggregate the revenue streams within it. But then you have to say, like, you know, if you look back over the last three years, you can see different segments doing different things. But 95% of the revenues in USD, the reporting in Canadian dollars, you got to go back and sort of plug in those exchange rates because there's, you know, there's 20% swings in the exchange rate, which even makes the financial reporting, you know, that much more complex, or I shouldn't say reporting, but it makes the, you know, analyzing the growth rates a little more complex um, uh, it can overinflate growth to one, you know, on one side and it can totally high growth on the other. So it's, uh, you know, it's never, uh, it's never boring. Uh, that's for sure. How do you backtest
0: it also for, you know, I mean, for the March 2020s or the, you know, uh, the TSX, I mean, this year had had quite a, was quite a roller coaster <laughs> to
1: say the least. Yeah. So, so I haven't done any backtesting in a while. And you know, frankly, I've been just sort of focused on, on the data sets and improving the data sets and Mm -hmm. and adding more features that we can use. Um, But you go through, you know, you put in a 15 year back test, it it included 2008, right? So that was, you know, there was an event. So, uh, you know, the process certainly had negative returns in that that environment. And and in those extreme environments, you know, um, um, correlation always goes to one. When things really go to pieces, uh, and I'm remembering your advice that you know this is a family-friendly show, so no swearing. But when things really go to pieces, correlations go to one, and and everything goes down. Um, but you know these businesses. That doesn't mean the business disappears. You know, quite often the business. Yeah, they maybe have a setback. Um, I will say with COVID. You know, as an example, you know, COVID blew holes in all kinds of financials, you know, depending on what sector you were in, you know, suddenly your revenue has been cut in half. Um, so that's, you know, uh, that was a big wrench in the works for me, for sure. And so now we're looking at, okay, well, you can't just say, well, you know, Q3, this year is up over Q3 last year. Last year was a COVID quarter. You to look at what was Q3, you know, the year before, Q2 the year before or whatever it is and are you making you know new high watermarks or is it just you're recovering from sort of a COVID depression so it's you know you have to you have to uh, sift and sort the data a bunch of different ways and think about it and and then kind of take your your best assessment it's it's never it is never cut and dried absolutely
0: all right well I think we went we covered everything. Did, did I miss anything in covering the methodology that you wanted to discuss or uh, do, no, do you think I, we do you think we covered it.
1: I think I think we I think we've covered it. Like if people. If people want to see it in action, you know, we're we don't have any secrets. We're happy to sort of demonstrate it to people. Um, and like I said, it's not uh, it's not rocket science. Um, it's just a lot of it's just a lot of work. So a lot of work
0: <laughs> to say the least but between you paul you paul dave and matthew and, and all the other folks that covered non-resource canadian microcasts i get, i took my cap man you know you guys more so than anybody i know read every filing do a ton of work on these names yeah you know so that that's uh, listen and and i i i would hope folks listening really you know through osmosis maybe you know, take in some of that because it's it's you know you you put in you'll get out what you put in, right? Yeah. You know, and I and and yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's amazing
1: with with cash flow. You know what what opportunities come to companies when other companies don't have cash flow. Yeah. So.
0: By the way, to any of my non Canadian uh, guests or investors that you know follow the show, I know you all do a lot of work too. Okay, this I'm just saying, like. You know they they make it pretty clear that they read everything. So okay, all right, here we go. All right, let me get to my favorite question to ask everybody on here. You know, Harold, what investing experience would you say you know had the biggest impact on your career or changed your career
1: the most? Um. Uh, so when I when I first started in the in the business, it was 1993, um, and uh, uh, you know, freshly back from from Nova Scotia, there, there was a huge diamond market. A diamond exploration market raging in Canada. You know, it had always been a bit of a joke, you know, Canadian diamonds mm-hmm. you were know, sort of a, a call signal for, for a scam, but they actually did find economic diamonds and the staking rush and the money coming into the market uh, was spectacular. So I showed up and there's companies being listed for 25 cents or 50 cents and, and ripping to, you know, a couple of bucks, five bucks on millions and millions of shares and I think they staked an area that might have been, you know, 150% the size of Great Britain. I mean, it was just insane. And, you know, having come from a situation where I couldn't have rent and beer money at the same time, I was intrigued by that. Uh, at the end of it, there was a, a group of companies, it was there, called the DHK Syndicate, it was three companies, and, and they had discovered diamondiferous Kimberlite. Uh, one stock was trading at, I think it was $16, one was 12 and one was nine, something like that. And they went and did a bulk sample uh, and it came back uneconomic. Um, and, and what's interesting, the stocks, they didn't, they didn't trade down. Like there was like, oh, those are lousy results, I'll sell it. They just opened down at $1.20, 80 cents and 50 cents. I remember being completely floored by the wealth destruction, a wealth creation on one side, but seeing it all come unraveled on the other side. I mean, it was a very profound experience. And after that, you couldn't finance a diamond company to save your life. Uh, There was another company in the mix called Aber Diamonds. They'd also made a discovery. They'd raised a bunch of money uh, and, and gotten some debt financing, and they were putting their uh, they were putting their their project into production. Uh, it got so bad; the stock got down to thirty-five or fifty cents. I forget what it was. And they were going into production next year, and their startup cash flow per share was going to be thirty-five or fifty cents a share. So it got so bad, so hated that it basically traded for you know one time next year's cash flow, and from there the stock went to thirty-five or forty bucks over the next couple of years as they, you know, as they built it up and grew and everything else. So um, that that truly got me hooked. I could never ever do anything that didn't have this kind of volatility, excitement, and cash flow rules the roost um, when you need it most.
0: So you, did you own the one, did you buy it at that 35 I, and watch I, the right?
1: I, I did, I did, I did not. We had had, we had had a position that went from, you know, 20 cents to, you know, a couple of bucks and, uh, and Aber actually had made a bid for the company, uh, but then it fell apart. So, uh, so we did all right. But I mean, it, it, the story could have been a much happier one. I'm sad to say it, it wasn't that happy. I see. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So. Hey, look that. I, that's,
1: that's 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 the business.
0: Yeah, that'll that'll definitely get you hooked. It's just, I mean, for some folks that might scare you off, but at the same time, if you you know, if you go through it, you realize, okay, I think I think I'm okay, you know, and you're able to come out the other side. I mean, how can you not be right? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know,
1: I think you know when you're when you're starting out, uh, you know, the key to success sometimes is survival. Right.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, okay, so we're, we're rounding the bend here. You know, my final question for you today, you know, what, what advice would you have for those, you know, looking at Canadian microcaps for the first time?
1: So if you, uh, if you haven't invested in microcaps or Canadian microcaps, you know, my, my advice would be to, to start small um, and um, sort of allocate an amount of capital that you're comfortable with risking, comfortable, you know, you're it shouldn't be the money you need to pay your rent or you know, your basic dietary and hygienic needs should already be covered. Um, uh, look at a diversified portfolio. You need to have more than one, uh, more than one opportunity. Um, think really hard about your buy criteria and write them down. And then maybe think uh, twice as hard or three times as hard about your sell criteria and then write that down. And when you're reviewing your positions on a go forward basis, you have to have the criteria there and say, has the company, you know, made any of these criteria? And if I'm not selling it and I should be, you know, why am I not? And and part of that is, you know, getting comfortable with um, uh, the volatility and not so much the upside volatility, it's the downside volatility that, you know, causes people to, to freak out and or make bad mistakes. You know, if you think a company is a sure thing and you buy it at a dollar and four weeks later it's trading at 40 cents, are you angry, despondent, or are you so excited because now I can buy, you know, three times as much for 40% the cost? Um, quite often, you know, people have the opposite reaction. They think, oh, I'm an idiot. I made a mistake. Um, you know, go back and review your criteria, you know. Were your criteria sound? Was it valid? Is it still valid? Should you average down? These are sort of the things I think you should think about. And this is part of how we try to help our clients is, you know, not just finding ideas, but navigating, you know, navigating the emotional, um, the emotional train of being invested. Um, we all think we're purely intellectually. You look at a long-term chart. I could buy that a dollar and I could hold it to a hundred dollars. You probably can't. Or I could buy it at a dollar, get crushed to 40 cents. I can, I can do that. And then it runs to wherever. But it's harder than it's harder than than it looks. Um, so kind of get a feel for your own emotional capacity to to deal with you know highly speculative, volatile, volatile stocks.
0: Well, that's incredible advice right there to, to end our, our chat today. So where, where can our audience go and find more information to learn more about the Leishman methodology <laughs> and, and get in touch with you?
1: Uh, so our our website is uh, leishmancatling.com. Uh, uh, so leishmancatlin uh, com. You can email us at lcgroup at cgf.com. You can call me, 604-643-763. You know, we, we love talking about, uh, we love talking with investors that are excited about micro Um, You know, there's always this sense of community. People, uh, a lot of investors that we deal with that are sort of high network guys, like, they, yeah, they like to make money, but they also like the intellectual exercise of, hey, let's learn about something new. Let's learn about a business, um there's a bit of a community around it you know uh, all in all it's a great experience if you're if you're emotionally able to take it so that's who we are that's where we are um looking forward to your event uh next week super excited about that so uh thank you so much for having me i really i really appreciate it dude
0: it's great having you on thank you again for not only joining me here today but also for for moderating the panel that we got going on next week so with that harold Thank you. Have a great weekend. And uh, I look forward to uh, chatting again soon. Thanks, Robert. And happy Thanksgiving. Thank you too. podcast. podcast.